This is part of a, a three-year postdoc, and um, the paper that I'm going to present today is therefore very much um, a work in progress. Um, and it's, it's based more or less on the ideas and material that I've gathered um, in Moscow last year. And it's just this is just me working through, through some of those. And um, I'm heading back um, at the weekend for another lengthy research trip. So any feedback or suggestions before I head off to bury myself in the archives would be <laughs> very much welcomed. Um, Actually, when I was there last year, I came across um, a book, and in this book I found this um, little anecdote, and it really sums up what I'm doing quite well. Um, so I'm going to, to begin with, with this anecdote. Um, so in 1922, an interesting exchange took place in one of Moscow's biggest hospitals, which is the, the Botkin Hospital. Um, and in, in one of the wards lay a, um, a delicate and even shy patient um, who had just had a bullet extracted from his neck. Um, the patient took a keen interest in both his nurse and his surroundings. Um, he wanted to know how many patients had been treated in the hospital, um, how the medical personnel there worked. Um, he even asked the nurse why she looked so bad and questioned the professor uh, attending to him as to why this nurse was working day and night, seemingly without any rest. And finally, uh, the patient wanted to know how he could thank uh, this nurse who had been taking care of him. So the inquisitive patient was none other than leader of the World Communist Revolution, Vladimir Lenin. Um, <laughs> and um, within a few days, the nurse who had taken uh, care of him received a resort pass to the Crimea issued by Commissar of Health Nikolai Samashka um, on the direct instruction of her kind and thoughtful patient, Vladimir Illich. Um, and so and the busy leader, it seemed, cared about nurses. Um, and this appeared in a 1980 book called Lenin and the Protection of the, um, the Health of the Soviet People. Um, and, and the moral of the story is basically that the Soviet state cared about its nurses. Um, but my question is, uh, did the Soviet state care about its nurses? Because um, while this is an enduring and heartwarming um, anecdote, there is the inescapable fact that the nurse was exhausted, um, overworked, and even according to Lenin, looked um, very wretched. Um, and so this is actually... a a copy of the note from Lenin to Smashko. Um, so nurses, it was clear, were vulnerable and in need of assistance. So what did the Soviet state do to help nurses, and did it really care about them? What exactly was the status and function of nurses in the Soviet Union? Uh, what was their relationship with other medical personnel and patients? And how did the state provide for its nurses in terms of education, professionalization, and training? Um, these, these are all the questions that I have. Um, what do we really know about Soviet nurses? Who were they? Um, what measures were taken to address the needs of Soviet nurses? And why would anyone in the Soviet Union want to become a nurse? So these are obviously, um, I obviously have a lot of questions, and they're big questions. I don't have all the answers, but maybe hopefully in a year's time or so I, I will have at least some of them. Um, so this is my, my chronological framework. Um, and as you can see from this, the main focus of my work is on the post-revolutionary period, and I focus on a number of stages or phases, um, which I see as having held out the possibility of developing nursing into a, a profession. So the first of these is the rise and fall of the short-lived Union of Sisters of Mercy uh, from 1917 to 1919, and subsequent reorganization of nurse training and education. Um, second are connections between Soviet Russia, the United States, and Britain during the 20s concerning um, nurse training. And third was the focus on labor and defense and the revisions of education and the role of the nurse. And finally, uh, the final stage that I want to look at is uh, developments in terms of awakening of a sense of professional identity by nurses in the latter half of the 1930s. 
Um, so these stages, which are framed in either end by war, ending together by an impetus to advance the cause of Russian Soviet nursing, represented, I argue, important opportunities for nurses. They potentially offered a glimpse of increased rights, better working conditions, higher status, and greater professional development. But before I go on to elaborate on in each of these phases, um, there are some issues that I just want to address first, and these are, are largely to do with um, terminology and conceptualization. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm overestimating how important these are, but it's just something I need to, I feel I need to sort of put out there. Um, so the first of these is the word nurse itself, um, which throws up a lot of important questions. So nurse is derived from the Latin uh, nutrix, meaning um, nursing mother. Uh, in both its historical and its modern understanding, it carries a number of connotations associated with various national conceptions of nurses and perceptions of who a nurse is and what a nurse does. In 19th century Russia, the original term for nurse was sistra milosardia, or sister of mercy, and nursing was closely linked to religion and philanthropy. In 1926, this was changed, and the nurse, or the sister, officially became known as the medicinska sistra, or the medical sister. Uh, so what... Uh, just to illustrate this sort of this transition, um, this is an image from 1930, and you can see that the, the, um, the medical sister is quite similar to the, the Sister of Mercy, but minus um, a few crosses and a, a veil. Um, so after the Bolshevik Revolution in October 1917 and the subsequent establishment of uh, Bolshevik organs of power, such as the Commissariat of Public Health, uh, changes began to take place that impacted on nursing. In 1919, nurses were um, bundled into a big medical union called Mitzantrud. And at this point, they are sometimes no longer even referred to as an individual group, but as simply middle medical personnel, mid-level medical workers. The Russian term for this is Sredni Medicinske Personala. And so for me, this is when their story becomes really murky, um, because their identity as a separate group seemed to almost vanish. And identifying nurses becomes all the more difficult because not only were they now in this very large category um, of middle medical workers that included a number of other types of medical worker, but even more so because many of these other workers performed very similar functions to the medical sister. Uh, so some of these, I have them up here, uh, some of these include, uh, for example, the, the Sidelka, who is also called a nurse, um, the, the Felcher, who is a paramedic, uh, the Sanitarka, who is a, sort of a junior nurse, the Nyanya, who is also a nurse, and the, the Akasharka, and there's, there's, um, there's a, a lot more of those as well. So delineating the exact role and function of some of these can be quite difficult, and this also appeared to be the case at the time. And one of the initial challenges to be dealt with, therefore, is there are the basic but important one of how to use the term nurse or, or sister. And I, I just refer to these interchangeably um, throughout. Um, and, and this is a photo that I've taken. It's actually from um, the Quaker archives, and I, I'm going to talk a bit more about the Quakers later on. Um, but for, from this photo here... Um, you can see, looking at the medical workers, that it's very hard to tell um, who is who. Uh, and this is also reflected in a lot of the, the documents that I have. It's just uh, this term of middle medical workers as opposed to sort of a nurse or which type of nurse. Uh, so then this leads on to another central issue, which is that of defining nursing and professionalization. Um, because writing about nurses, I'm dealing with a profession, um, but just, this touches upon uh, a wider debate uh, about whether nursing is an occupation or a profession, an art or a science or, or all of these. 
Um, so in order to, to seek some direction and, and, and guidance, I consulted, well, I consulted a number of books, but I found one in particular to be quite useful. And this is a 2001 book called Nursing Today's World Challenges, Issues and Trends um, by Janice Ryder Ellis and C.L. Love Hartley. And in this, they ask um, several pertinent questions as to what makes nursing a profession uh, today, some of which include, does nursing have its own... Um, does nursing have its own unique body of knowledge? Does it have control over this knowledge? And what is the position of the nurse in relation to other members of the healthcare team? And they claim today um, that nurses cannot agree on a single definition of nursing, partly because of the history of nursing. And they add that nursing is also difficult to define because it contains elements of theory and practice, but is primarily pursued through practice. And in addition to these, um, nursing is hard to define because of the frequent lack of a clear distinction between nursing and medicine and their interdependence. So even within a contemporary and Western context, nursing is still inextricably bound up in its history and proves difficult to define as a profession. Um, so in pre-revolutionary Russia, nursing was not state-organized, but rather, I'm just going to give some background, um, some background information, um, but nursing care was sponsored by wealthy aristocratic women who helped fund or sponsor the communities of nurses, and these are called opshini, and the first of these was formed in 1844. In 1867, the Russian Red Cross was established, and from that point on, it oversaw the work of the communities, acting as um, a, a kind of an umbrella organization, but at the same time, the communities remained strictly under the influence of their individual patrons. These were the, the wealthy aristocratic women. And towards the end of the 19th century, a more coherent system began to be worked out by the Russian Society of the Red Cross as it attempted to standardize the rules, structure, and education of the sister communities. What had started out as charitable work eventually came to form the basis of nursing care in Russia. And since the establishment of the first community in 1844, there were, by the outbreak of World War I, 150 communities. During the war, the Sister of Mercy communities became supplemented by the entry of thousands of women from all kinds of social backgrounds and with various very levels of training. In order to address the deficit in nursing personnel, short-term Red Cross courses for nurse volunteers were introduced. This resulted in the training of a total number of some 30,000 Red Cross nurses during World War I. Now, I'm not going to go and, and, and discuss World War I in detail because my, my primary concern is with peacetime nursing. But in terms, of, um, in terms of professional development and identity, the war experience and increasing revolutionary mood had an impact on nursing. And in August 1917, and this is what I see as the first phase, um, the All-Russian Union of Sisters of Mercy was established at the first All-Russian Congress of Sisters of Mercy in Petrograd. Petrograd is in St. Petersburg. So in the first issue of its journal in January 1918, the editor stated that, and this is I'm quoting the, the Union Journal here, that rules and a solid organization were necessary so that there could be single leadership which would unite all members into one harmonious force, which would serve the motherland and humanity under the banner of the Red Cross. The Union of Sisters wanted to deal with a number of issues, including the professional needs of sisters. And interestingly, uh, in a break with the, the previous system of communities, whereby the professional and private lives of sisters were effectively uh, controlled and enforced by the communities, the Union of Sisters called for the private lives of sisters to be separate from um, their, their professional role as, as a sister, subject only to the laws of the civil state and not the community. 
by early 1919, the Union of Sisters of Mercy was liquidated, and it was merged into the, the big medical union that I, I mentioned earlier, Mids and Trude. And the Commissariat of Public Health, um, which had been in control since July 1918, was now seeking to extend its control and had its own plans for nurses. Um, so the Commissariat of Public Health shared the, the Union of Sisters' um, position regarding nurse training and planned to create nursing schools with a three-year uh, study program. But it also wanted to create short-term programs for sister assistance, Pomochniki, um, in order to help address the urgent need for medical personnel. Um, so these assistants were to act as a type of temporary emergency personnel. While the new sister courses would turn out um, new cadres of carers, this would take some two to three years, but in the meantime, life would not wait. These kinds of short-term crash training programs uh, were fairly typical of, of the Civil War period. Now, although these courses were short, they had been drawn up and approved by the Health Commissariat. Uh, I don't think they were ever actually intended to replace or undermine the longer um, two to three-year nursing courses, but rather to, to train personnel who would be able to support the nurses. Uh, the problem unforeseen at this time was that in many cases, the assistants and others who had um, only short-term training became employed in the capacity of fully-fledged nurses. And the promotion of these little trained medical workers to the position of sister or nurse led to severe problems in the quality of nursing care by the late 20s and the 1930s. So here at this point in the, the early 1920s, the focus was largely on education and training. The normal schools, the Normalnia Scholi, those are the three-year uh, training programs which the Commissariat for Public Health was eager to establish, were, according to uh, Commissar of Public Health Nikolai Samashka, to be fundamentally different to the old pre-revolutionary schools, with new programs and study plans to be drawn up. However, in reality, the study plans and programs are largely the same as before, but with the religious elements omitted. And I think you can see that from that slide that I showed earlier with the, um, the two different types of nurse. So the course program made clear the importance placed upon care and practical training. Theoretical training did not, it was stated, and I'm quoting from the study program here, it did not illuminate any changes in the condition of the patient and made sisters and nurses perform their duties in a mechanical fashion. To avoid such an outcome, emphasis was placed on practical training so that sisters would not emerge from the schools as third-rate doctors, but rather as first-rate carers. And this was an almost identical stance to that taken in Britain during the interwar years, where Susan McGann, who was actually sitting here a few years ago, um, as Susan McGann has commented, nursing establishments feared, I quote uh, Susan McGann here, feared that an emphasis on theory over practice would result in nurses becoming second-rate doctors and losing touch with the essential qualities of nursing. So I think it's really quite striking here um, that there was such similar professional debate taking place um, in two countries with such radically different political systems. And while in Britain and in other countries these debates were mainly conducted among nurse leaders, in the Soviet case, nurses had no equivalent nurse representatives or leaders. Such discussions took place only at the party-state level, um, for example, um, within the Commissariats of Public Health or Education. Um, so I'm going to stay with the theme of international commonalities, and this is moving on to the, the second stage. Um, there was also communication with the, with the Soviet Union and other countries, um, as the Soviet health authorities maintained a keen interest in British and American systems of nursing education. During the first half of the 1920s, uh, there was considerable exchange of medical literature between the Soviet Union and the United States, as well as with other countries such as Germany and Great Britain. 
And this is an image, this is um, a photo of, of the Quakers taken in, in Samara um, in, in, in southern Russia. Uh, so nursing literature formed part of this, this medical literature exchange. Um, indeed, some of the journals sent by the New York Medical Academy to Russia between 1920 and 1923 included American Nursing, the Journal of Social Hygiene, and the American Journal of Public Health. So it was clear from the Commissariat of Public Health correspondences that during the period 1923 to 1926 also, there was Soviet interest in British attitudes and, policy, um, and policies to health, especially childcare. Um, there was an interest in an international nursing course set up in 1920 and run by the League of the Red Cross Societies in collaboration with London University's Bedford College. Um, Susan McGann and, and also um, British nurse historian Amory Rafferty have both written about this course and um, according to Rafferty it placed particular emphasis on training nurses for social health work. Um, the international courses, again according to Rafferty, had the objective of training nurses to work in the fields of visiting nursing, child welfare, school and TB nursing, prenatal and maternity nursing. And all of this was certainly an area of public health in which the Soviet Union had a very keen interest. However, no Soviet nurses ever attended these courses. Now, one potentially um, important development for Soviet nursing was the 1924 visit to Moscow of the New York Henry Street settlement founder Lillian Wald. Um, while in Moscow, Wald was invited to attend an exhibition on healthcare organized by the Commissariat of Public Health and asked to review the curriculum from the Samara School of Nursing. It was noted by Moscow that Wald and the other delegates had um, immense experience in the area of public health and could demonstrate for the Soviet audience how public health in America was conducted. And the Soviet Union, it seemed, um, opened the door to those who considered considered to be um, in a position to offer something valuable, be this individual expertise and connections, uh, medical literature or, or material. And this is also shown to be true in Moscow's relationship with the Quakers, uh, who brought significant expertise and material with them to, to Russia. The Quakers, uh, perhaps more than any other group, rallied very hard in both Moscow and the United States to establish an American or a Western-style school of nursing, um, who by the later 20s and, and 1930s, however, just come up against too many obstacles which they, they could never overcome. Uh, so this, uh, this uh, is sort of the, the end of, of one phase and, and the beginning of, of another, although there is a lot of overlap between them. Um, so at the end of the 20s, uh, international and domestic political events brought to an end many of these foreign connections, and at least in terms of nursing, um, a new pattern emerged. So the Red Cross and the Communist Youth League, uh, called Comsomol, began to pay more attention to medical issues. In 19... Uh, it's just an image of one of the parades. Um, so, so from this point, and, and most especially after the war scare in 1927, medical um, training and defence once again came to be linked to one another. A trend was particularly reflected um, with the establishment in 1930 of the publication uh, Za Sanatorio Oberonu, which is um, for, um, for sanitation defence. And so you have an increase um, in the number of short-term courses for nurses, uh, which the Red Cross has started to organise in 1925. In 1934, the Red Cross was gaining momentum, and n now new reforms allow those attending the two-year Red Cross courses, but also attended some sort of continuing education or supplementary training courses to work in the capacity of professional nurse. So that year, 20,000 of these Red Cross nurses qualified and legally received the title of, of medical sister or, or nurse. 
Um, so this is the cover of Za Sanatorio Oberonu, which is the, the publication, the Red Cross publication, and depicted on this is a scene from a 1936 film called Padrugi or, or Girlfriends, um, which is a film released in 1936, um, but uh, it tells the story about three um, Yorangaras who become Red Sisters and fight um, in the Russian Civil War in, 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 uh, from 1918 to 1921. And so there's a, a big sort of spread on, on this film, basically, saying that it should be used to try and draw more girls and young women towards the Red Cross courses and, and, and nursing. Um, so the Red Cross was very active, um, and it also organized uh, parachuting and in-flight courses for, for nurses. And in 1934, it introduced a new special short course to train collective farm sisters. Uh, so at this point, um, the role and function of the nurses begin to change again um, with the establishment of the Red Cross courses, placing nursing within a defense context. And these courses serve different functions as the skills acquired, such as first aid, uh, could also be applied within a factory and a farm setting. However, other issues were at stake here, um, which were not so openly discussed in the press. Um, a decree in 1933 had noted the low level of nurse training in the polytechnics, and the polytechnics were one of the, the main routes towards, um, towards professional nurse training. Um, so it noted the, noted the low level of training in the polytechnics and the fact that um, there were insufficient numbers of graduates to meet the high demand for medical workers. And the newly certified Red Cross nurses more than likely, I think, ended up having to, uh, to help fill this void. So the implications of the short courses were, needless to say, counterproductive. Um, not only did it mean the standards of care fell, but it also led to tensions between medical workers. Um, in 1932, um, an article appeared in um, the, the Union Journal, Medicine's Gearbotnik, Medical Worker, um, which I think really illustrates the type of problems um, the multitude of different nurse training courses caused for, for workers, especially on a, sort of a practical, everyday level. So in, in Medicine's Gearbotnik, um, it stated that a nurse in the Botkin Hospital, again, the, the big um, hospital in, in Moscow, but there was also one in Leningrad. Um, so a, a nurse in the Botkin who had finished a Red Cross course and worked for two years, received 100 rubles. And alongside her were nurses who had worked for 14 years plus and also received 100 rubles. Um, so I think it goes at saying that there was um, a, a sort of tension between these workers. And I think it must have been quite a big problem because um, a few years later, in 1935, um, Wages, the salary for, for medical workers has actually increased, and, and the rise took into consideration experience, um, education, medical rank position, and in some cases location, whether these worked in um, urban or rural areas. Um, and then a year later, it's 1936, which, um, at least in, in Soviet history, is a landmark year, it's the year of the Stalin Constitution, and this marked yet another new stage in the history of Soviet nursing. Um, middle medical education was revised to reflect new Stalinist policies, uh, which included an emphasis on hospital construction and development as part of the five-year plans. Um, kindergarten nurses were added to the list of middle medical personnel, uh, which is a, ban on the, a reflection of the ban on abortion and the expectation that there would be um, millions of extra babies to be looked after. Um, Nursing schools had to equip sisters with a, um, a deep knowledge of her specialism, a wide socio-political outlook, and to train her as a cultural worker. And at this time, hospital directors and medical specialists from across the Soviet Union began to assemble and discuss problems in Soviet health care. 
uh, in the discussions of hospital leaders in the files of the main administration of city, uh, for city hospitals, and these existed from 1936 to 1947, uh, the training of nurses in particular came under fire. The two primary bases for the full-time professional education of nurses, the much maligned uh, technicums or polytechnics, and also the hospital schools, which I haven't really discussed because I basically don't have any information on them at the moment. Um, but both, both of these educational institutes were, um, were criticized. So the polytechnics uh, were accused of accepting students who were too young, so young the fact that some of them were not legally permitted to work in, in the departments because they, were, they weren't 18. Um, the politics were also criticised for producing graduates with limited knowledge of how to actually care for patients and who had to be taught how to do this after they had started to work in the hospital. Um, and so it was argued by some that uh, basically an entire revision of the study plans and programmes were necessary. And significantly, it was, not just, um, it was not just doctors who questioned the quality of nursing graduates. Nurses themselves were critical of the, the, um, the educational system from which they had emerged. The only journal for medical, um, actually, nurses complained that the doctors attended courses, for instance, and when they returned, they didn't tell the nurses what they had learned. Um, nurses also felt they were denied the opportunity to acquire further knowledge and information by the absence of any literature devoted to their profession. Um, and, and this is also um, exemplified by the fact that they didn't have a nursing journal. The only nursing journal was um, Sistra, Medical Sister, and this wasn't um, established until 1942. And so, and I think when you think of this, it's it's quite um, quite telling, given the sheer volume of all sorts of publications in the 20s and 30s that nurses didn't have their their own journal until this late stage. Um, so here, at the end of the 30s and on the eve of war, um, were the first real signs in over a decade of debate and interest in the status and role of the nurse. Now, this interest was not one-sided or top-down, but actually um, interactive, as nurses were now attempting to organize themselves. A step towards establishing a more coherent and coordinated professional identity began to be taken by the Soviet nurses in 1939, when several conferences, most notably in Leningrad, were convened by nurses. In Leningrad, the nurses presented papers on topics such as patient care, surgery, trauma, etc., and then these were published in an edited volume. While some physicians helped and supported the nurses, dissenting voices could also be heard. Um, one doctor, for instance, claimed that awarding nurses an academic degree was, I quote, wrong, and that there should be, again, no discussion of this. Um, and indeed, there could be no discussion because um, once war broke out, uh, the issue of granting nurses greater, greater professional autonomy or addressing their professional status were put on hold, and attention was again focused on, on training wartime nurses. Uh, so to, to uh, offer some tentative concluding <laughs> remarks, um, at the outset of this paper, I asked if the Soviet state cared about its nurses. Um, I think the Soviet state did care, um, but only in the utilitarian sense that nurses functioned to fulfill the role deemed necessary by the state, as opposed to nursing being deemed worthy of development as a profession in its own right. Having joined the big medical union, Mits and Trude, nurses more or less lost control of their professional representation. Their interests were left in the hands of the commissariats of health and education. And while these um, were keen to improve medical standards and nurse training, they could hardly be described as patrons. And then added to this political mix um, were the problems in defining and organizing nursing education. The fledgling socialist state, while politically cast aside uh, from the wider international community, found itself drawn towards Britain, the US, and Germany when it came to matters of public health. 
These countries, standard bearers of nursing education, were also grappling with nurse training and education. One of the common problems, especially in the 20s, was that of quality standardization, a problem not unique to the Soviet Union. But in the Soviet case, reforms reflected the ongoing battle to create a nursing force that would be ready to meet the short-term needs of the state. And as a result of the continuous reforms, the education and training of nurses was in a constant state of flux, a state which in no way served to improve standards. And then this was not helped by the attempt, um, especially in the 30s, to involve more and more people in broader sanitation campaigns and public health courses, uh, which again only lead, led to uh, falling standards in the quality of nursing care. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.